0: Okay, so we're going to be continuing on through the sermon series called To the Cross and Resurrection. And one of the things that I thought about last week as I was going through this and then going into the uh, text that we're going to be working through today is this is kind of a dark period in Jesus' life. Uh, As we were talking about it last week and then I was looking into it this week, I was like, oh man, this is really, it's not all warm and fuzzy Jesus time. Um, For those of you who had seen the Passion movie, I was really excited to go and see that and like, wow, this is going to be amazing. And then you go and watch and you're like, wow, this is just, this is a lot. Because essentially what we're going through is the last part of Jesus' life which is in many ways dark and sad and and difficult to go through. Um, But it's in there, it's a part of his life, and it's good for us to really dive into that. And so kind of a recap of what we've gone through already in this sermon series as we look at the last part of Matthew's gospel, is that we've seen that Judas agrees to betray Jesus and at the same time, the religious leaders have had enough of Jesus. They're done with him. Uh, he's not who, uh, he is not who they thought he was going to be. Um, and they've decided that it's time for him to go. And Judas agrees to betray him. And so then we have the Passover meal. Um, are you doing that, Linda, or am I? Okay. We're going to have to team up again. Um, And so he has the Last Supper, and the Last Supper happens during Passover, which is the Jewish celebration of when the Jews... Uh, We're freed from slavery in Egypt. And during that time, uh, before the meal happens, we see that uh, Jesus washes the disciples' feet, all of them, uh, including Judas. Even though he knows that Judas is going to betray him, he still decides to show and demonstrate his love to all of them, including Judas, which is really challenging to us in the way that we think about people we don't like or people who have betrayed us or, or enemies. But Jesus chooses to wash all the disciples' feet. Uh, Next slide. And we also see that Jesus does something really radical, which might not seem as radical to us now as it was to them, but certain parts of the communion meal, he took the bread and he broke it. And he said, take this, eat of this. This is my body broken for you. And then he, he took the wine and he passed it around and said, this is my blood poured out for you. And so Jesus uh, essentially is saying that uh, we have to eat his flesh and drink his blood. And this is the sign of the new covenant. And so now what we're in- to is Matthew 26 and the the last supper is done and Judas has left after all of this uh, to go and betray Jesus and Jesus goes into the garden of Gethsemane and so here we are in Matthew 26 verses 36 through 46 then Jesus went with his disciples to a place called Gethsemane Couldn't you men uh, keep watch with me for one hour? He asked Peter. Watch and pray so that you will not fall into temptation. The spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. He went away a second time and prayed, My father, if it is not possible for this cup to be taken away from me unless I drink it, may your will be done. When he came back, he again found them sleeping because their eyes were heavy. So he left them and went away once more and prayed the third time, saying the same thing. Then he returned to the disciples and said to them, Are you still sleeping and resting? Look, the hour has come, and the Son of Man is delivered into the hands of sinners. Rise, let us go. Here comes my betrayer. So he's in this place called the Garden of Gethsemane, if you want to go to the next slide, uh, which is still a place in Jerusalem. You can go there. It's olive trees goes to this garden and what we see here is that Jesus is really distressed he's in a great deal of trouble um uh, he he is you know feeling the weight of what is about to happen and and so far in the gospels this is not something that we've seen of him Jesus is generally not distressed he's not troubled and so now we come into this place where we really see him struggling um But And I think in part because Jesus knows what is about to happen to him and and he's struggling with what is about to take place. Um, Some time ago, uh, or a long time ago, when I was a little kid, uh, I was in the bathroom and I had these two glass cups and I shoved one glass cup into the other and it shattered and it sliced my finger open. And so as I'm screaming and freaking out, my grandma's coming in and telling me it's going to be okay, I'm going to be fine, and blood's pouring out of my finger, and so we have to go to the hospital. And I'm freaking out already because my finger is cut open, and so they show up and they have to do stitches. And if anyone in the room knows what has to happen in order for them to give you stitches, it's basically like your worst-case scenario. You have a cut, and so they have to put the painkiller where? right into the wound. So you're looking at your wound, which is all like bloody and open and it's painful. And they're like, well, hold on a second. What we need to do here is put that needle straight into the wound to numb it. And it's just mind blowing, right? And I remember to freaking out. And and so this last week, my uh, daughter, uh, one of my daughters got into a uh, rector bike and we had to go to the hospital. And all she kept screaming is, they're gonna have to put a needle into my chin. You know, freaking out, which is understandable. And so when we look at Jesus here in the Garden of Gethsemane, essentially he is, he knows what is about to happen to him. And it's overwhelming because in many ways, what is about to happen to him is very overwhelming. Go next slide. And so we have to remember that Jesus is both fully God and fully man. He is both, which uh, is unique to Jesus. And in this part of his life, what we're really seeing is his humanity. We're seeing the human component of Jesus coming out that he's wrestling with what has to happen to him. And so even though he's fully God, in this moment, he's given up control and we see his humanity coming out in this moment. I mean, how many of us would be afraid of what happens next, that you're betrayed by a man that you just washed his feet, you're about to go into the Roman court, you're going to be beaten, you're going to be hated, and you're going to be crucified. think everyone in the room, that is not your idea of an ideal day. It's tough. Very difficult. So Jesus knows what he is about to go through. So as we look at this text and kind of break it down... um, for me, there's two ideas to explore out of this. Is First off, why is Jesus willing to go through all of this? Because it seems like a great deal. And then next, we can learn something from Jesus' example of wrestling with God's will in his life. And then how it relates to us. Because in many ways, as we see Jesus in the garden saying, Take this cup from me. Um, wrestling with God's will in his life, but not my will but yours be done. And so first off, why is Jesus willing to go through all of this? Because it is quite a lot. Next slide. So in Romans chapter 5, verses 6 through 8, Paul says this, You see, at just the right time, when we were still powerless, Christ died for the ungodly. Very rarely will anyone die for a righteous person, though for a good person someone might possibly dare to die. But God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. So when we ask, why is Jesus willing to go through all of this? The answer is all of us. The reason that Jesus says yes to any of this is for you and me, for us. Um, I remember um, when I was a kid, my mom and I, we lived in South Lake Tahoe, um, and we would drive down into Reno to go clothes shopping. It was a, a real special thing my mom and I did. And I re- i don't know how the subject came up, but it just I, maybe I was asking if my mom loved me, how much she loved me, but it was just her and I. And I remember talking to her and asking her, so... Um, if there was a pack of wolves and they were going to eat me, you would throw yourself in front of the wolves and allow them to eat you and let me live. And my mom said, I would do that for you. And I remember thinking, I don't know what I would say. I, I really actually felt loved. Like, wow, my mom would like let herself be eaten by wolves for me? It's awesome. Maybe she'll let me buy more stuff in Reno. I don't know what's going on. Um, but I had, it was just really a powerful moment that I felt loved by my mom, which I still do to this day, thankfully. And I think that we would all be willing to die for our children and for a loved one. And so when we think about this and we think about dying for our children, this is essentially what Jesus does for us. When we think about that love that we have for our children and that we would die for them, that's essentially what uh, Jesus does for us. Next slide. And that Jesus dies for his children. That's why he goes through all of this. Because when he sees us or he sees any person, all he sees is a child. Paul would say in the book of Romans, the wages of sin is death. And so what Jesus does is he substitutes himself for us, that the penalty of sin is death, and Jesus decides to die for us so that we can live. Come on, next slide. He pays the penalty of my sin. He pays the penalty of my death so that I can live. But Jesus doesn't just die for you. He dies for all of creation. Even those people that you dislike the most, or if you do have anyone that you consider to be your enemy, that Jesus dies for them. Even the people that, again, you dislike the most, he dies for them. Want to go to the next slide? I mean, it's a powerful scene, and we'll see it coming up when he goes before the Roman government, that he would choose to do this. And so it's easy for us to look at this and think, Here's the good guy amongst all of the bad guys. But Jesus doesn't see it like that. All he sees in this moment is his children. That's all he sees. Because all these people, the mob that's shouting for his death, or the Roman government who believes that it has more power than the king of the Jews, none of that matters to him. All he sees is his children. So why is Jesus willing to go through this? Because we're precious to him as creation is precious to him. And I wish we could fully understand his love for us. For us. And I think it's difficult for us because, in many ways, and I'll speak for myself, but I think many of us in the room would agree that to really accept unconditional love is really difficult because, for the most part, the love that we have uh, for ourselves and for other people is conditional. If I do the right thing, if you do the right thing, that oftentimes our love is conditional. But Jesus loves and accepts you just as you are. Just as you are. Uh, he doesn't love your best self. He's not waiting for you to realize your best self. He doesn't love who you should be, who you ought to be, or who you wish to be. He isn't waiting for you to get everything right, because getting everything right is Jesus' job. That's not your job. Again, Jesus doesn't love you for who you ought to be, or should be, or wish to be. He loves you as you are right now. And we have relationship that Jesus makes right in Christ, you uh, you have uh, that you are accepted, you are loved, and you are valued as you are. Uh, In the previous sermon series, we have gone through the Westminster Catechism. We were talking about theology. Theology is what I believe about God. And if I believe that God is angry, then I'll live my life in one way. But if I believe that I'm unconditionally loved, then more than likely I'll live my life in a very different way. And thankfully, we have examples of this throughout history. And one of these examples that we have is a gentleman named uh, Martin Luther. Martin Luther was a German monk who uh, was part of the Catholic Church. There was only one church then, it was the Catholic Church. And so he started to see things as he was reading the Bible that just weren't making sense, that the Catholic Church was doing things that weren't okay. And so he created a 95-point thesis in the Protestant Reformation. It's all in history. You can read about it. But one of the things that was interesting about Martin Luther before he really understood who God was is that his theology, the way that he believed about God, was that God was angry at him. Uh, or that God was to be feared, or Martin Luther couldn't live up to God's expectations. And I've talked about him before, and and, and again because he's such an interesting um, individual. He was so afraid of God that it w- that he would stay up all night long praying, and not in the sense like I've done twenty four hour fasting and praying. Um, but I wasn't sitting there freaking out that God was angry at me or I wasn't measuring up to what, uh, to what God wanted from me or I was afraid that I was going to be punished. But Martin Luther would stay up all night and he would be afraid. There was, um, at one point in time, they had confessionals in the Catholic Church that there's a story that, that Martin Luther literally confessed for six hours straight, Seems a bit excessive. (laughs) Like, what are you confessing? For six hours straight. Because he was afraid of God. Because his theology was that God was angry. that That God could only love Martin Luther's best self. How he ought to be. How he should be. Versus... Uh, understanding that getting it right is Jesus's job. But then everything changed for him, that he ended up becoming the champion for grace, that you're forgiven by grace, that there's nothing you can do to make God love you more or less, that it's all by grace that we are saved. It's nothing that we do. There's no works that we can do. We can't be good enough. You can't read your Bible enough. You can't, right, it's not about not cussing. It's not about saying and doing all the right things. Ultimately, it's about grace and that Jesus takes my punishment and gives me grace. So, this is a quote from Martin Luther who says this These two terms, grace and peace, constitute Christianity. "'Grace involves the remission of sins, peace, and a happy conscience. "'Sin is not canceled by lawful living, "'for no person is able to live up to the law. "'The law reveals guilt, fills the conscience with terror, "'and drives men to despair.'" much less is sin taken away by a man-invented endeavors. The fact is, the more a person seeks credit for himself by his own efforts, the deeper he goes into debt. Nothing can take away sin except the grace of God. There's nothing we can do. Jesus doesn't love us as we ought to be or should be or want to be. Jesus is not trying to love our perfect self. We can dress up as much as we want to, but still, we, we are who we are, and we wrestle with sin. And so how would your life change if you really believe that there's nothing you can do to make God love you more or less? That I'm free, that you're free. I'm free to make mistakes. That doesn't mean that I want to make more mistakes. I don't think any of us wants to make more mistakes that I know of. How would your life change if you really believed that you were loved as you are, that He loves you? There's, There's nothing you can do to make God love you more or less. You're loved, you're accepted, you're chosen, you're beautiful. So why is Jesus willing to go through this? You. So that you can be free. And you can live in freedom. And you can live and know that he loves you. And that he has good things for you. So next, we have an example of Jesus wrestling with what we all wrestle with. I think most of us wrestle with, which is God's will for my life. And how does pain fit in to God's will for my life. Because I think in many ways we think those two things are in opposition that God's will for my life cannot include pain or suffering. So uh, next slide. This is from Luke, I know that we've been going through Matthew, but you know, the other gospels have different perspectives. Luke twenty two, forty two through forty four, this is Jesus speaking. Father, if you are willing, take this cup from me, yet not my will but yours be done. An angel from heaven appeared to him and strengthened him, and being in anguish, he prayed more earnestly, and his sweat was like drops of blood falling to the ground. So here's Jesus in turmoil, sweating blood, saying, Father, if you are willing, take this cup from me. And I think this is something we've all said, although we might not have used these words Um, I probably might rephrase it like, God, will you please make this stop? Or, I'm done. Make this go away. I think all of us have experienced some degree where we're just fed up with what's going on. The suffering is too much. The pain is too great. But Jesus' prayer doesn't end at, make this stop. He ends his prayer by saying, Not my will, but yours be done. Next slide. Again, Jesus is fully God and he's fully man. And it is in this moment, like I had said previously, that we really are experiencing his humanity. That in the midst of this, and we'll even see it when his experience on the cross, that he has given up his right to control in this moment. And he is subject to the will of his father, which is ultimately that he is going to die and be crucified. And so we see his humanity, that he's underneath the authority of his father, and he says, not my will, but yours be done. So how many of us wrestle with God's will for our lives? The tough question. What is God's will for my life? How many of us wrestle with pain and how it fits into God's will? I know I'm not the only one who has thought about this. So so hold on. I'm a new creation in Christ. I'm loved unconditionally. I'm on the right side of good and evil. Why am I suffering? I'm on the right team. I'm on the winning team. All we get is W's. Why am I suffering? Not my will, but yours be done. And the cool thing about Jesus, which there are many, he doesn't ask us to do anything that he's not willing to do himself. So when we see him suffering, again, he's not asking us to do anything that he doesn't do himself. So none of us want to suffer, including Jesus. But suffering is a part of a broken creation. And so when I read this, I think about how often our prayers end where Jesus' prayer starts. God, I want what you want, but take this out of my life. Or saying, Jesus, I'm following you, but stop this now. He comes into the garden knowing he's about to be tortured and die, and any normal hum- human being would ask, can we not do this? I would ask that. Like... <laughs> Is there any other way that we can do this? Like getting a shot. Like, wait, you literally have to put the needle into my cut? We can't do it any other way? Like you can't knock me out or what's going on here? But can we not do this is where Jesus' prayer starts, but it ends with, yet not my will but yours be done. And so suffering is something we all wrestle with. And how does our suffering fit into our relationship with God? Again, shouldn't God take away my suffering? But biblically and in our experience, God doesn't take away our suffering. I'll go to the next slide. But in many ways, our suffering is this moment in our life where God bores us into His love and His grace and His goodness it sinks us deeper into our relationship with God. And he brings meaning to our suffering. Jesus isn't suffering for nothing. He's not just suffering because that's what God wants to do. God just wants to make people suffer. Jesus' suffering has meaning, and your suffering has meaning as well. Next slide. No, go back, sorry. Yeah, just leave it there. Again, it's meant to dig us deeper into our relationship with God. Suffering reveals so many important things about us, even though we don't want it to happen. Our frailty, that we're not as strong as we think we are. Our humanity, that we're broken in many ways. And how finite we are. I mean, I think we'd all agree, I certainly would, from the things that I've wrestled with, I wish that success that cre- could create the same type of character growth in me that suffering does. But it doesn't. There's something in suffering that digs us so far deep into who God is, and at the same time re- reveals in me a brokenness that needs to find some type of healing that can only be found in God, and suffering brings that. It's in suffering that we say, I am weak, but you are strong. It's in suffering that we realize that we are not sufficient and we can't accomplish all of these things, that I need redemption, and that ultimately God sustains me. You can go to the next slide. It's C.S. Lewis. um, Pain insists upon being attended to. God whispers to us in our pleasures, speaks in our consciousness, but shouts in our pains. It is his megaphone to rouse a deaf world. Father, if you are willing, take this cup from me, yet not my will, but yours be done. I know for me, there's... No way I, I would be here without the suffering that has happened in my life. I, again, I wish it could be otherwise that just finding success in whatever it is that I would deem to be success would help me to end up here. Um, I know that through my brokenness, like I was just talking to some folks here, I mean the first time, when the person that invited me to this church, I asked him two questions, Are you a Christian? And he said, yes, I go to the Vineyard Church, and I asked him, are you sober? And he said, yes, I've been sober for a year, and I thought he was lying because I didn't think anybody could be sober for a year. My suffering through using brought me to a place where I realized I needed help, that I'm not sufficient, that I can't do this. After that, uh, I had a good chunk of time to where I was successful, and I was doing really well. I wasn't who I used to be, and ended up going to a good college and uh, finding a beautiful wife. Um, And and all of these things happened in my life. I was a worship leader at a really large church, and a lot of things were really, really good. And then we went to Santa Cruz, and things really, really fell apart. Where I wrestled with depression, Um, I mean, I could. there are periods of time in my life where I couldn't even get out of bed. I had gone from doing ultra-marathons out in the woods, and here I was lying in bed, and I couldn't even get out of bed for days on end. But it certainly, that period of time, helped me to care about people much more and to care about people who were going through things that I didn't necessarily understand and to care about people who are wrestling wrestling with things that they felt like they couldn't control. Because up until that time, I thought I could control anything. And then I realized through my suffering that I couldn't, that I was out of control, that I wasn't as strong as I thought I was. And I know that if I didn't grow up in an abusive home with my stepfather, I don't think that I would care about the people that I spend time with right now as a therapist in a rehab. I know I wouldn't. I mean, if we were nothing but successful, one, we'd be the most annoying people on earth, and we'd be so pretentious, it would be out of control. But suffering does something to us. It reminds us of our humanity. It reminds us that we're broken. It reminds us that there's something wrong with all of this, and even though it's beautiful today, that there's something just broken in all of it, and we need someone to come and rescue us and and make it all right, and that's Jesus. I wouldn't know God as I know him today without my suffering. Do I want more suffering in my life? No. That's for sure. I'll take a series of wins for a while. (laughs) But there's something that happens in us and in our relationship with God that wouldn't happen otherwise, in that we can certainly ask God, Father, if you're willing, take this cup from me. But in the end, I hope that we'll all have the maturity and the trust in God to know that we're unconditionally loved, that we can say, yet not my will, but yours be done. Which is hard. The first part of the prayer is, I just take it for granted, like, please make this stop. But the second part communicate something to God that's so important but I trust you I trust that even if I can't understand what's going on right now and this is really going to suck that you have something good for me and that in the end it will make me more and more like Christ it will bore me deeper into becoming more and more like Christ and that's hard takes trust takes faith So, after we take communion, we do pray for people. a couple of things that I would love to... We have people come up here and we lay hands on them and pray for them. We believe that the Holy Spirit works through people and the laying on of hands is something that we see in the Bible that the Holy Spirit uses to help people. And to... uh, Yeah, it's just something that we see uh, God using. A couple of people that... uh, groups I'd love to pray for, those who are suffering that you're suffering through something that's really difficult and you don't understand why, and not necessarily that we're going to tell you why or you're going to get any answers, but just that God would touch you in a powerful way to give you the strength to be able to suffer through this moment and that God would grow you in the midst of that. And that, too, wrestling with not feeling unconditionally loved, that you are unconditionally loved. That there's nothing you can do to make God love you more or less. He just loves you as you are, not as you ought to be, not as you should be. Um, But he loves the person that he sees in the mirror no matter what, unconditionally. So if you want to pray for any of those or either one of those or anything else, you can come on up after the service. We are going to take communion. Communion is the covenant that we have that Jesus gave to us. Uh, The cracker represents his body that was broken for us. That Jesus came down with a whole body and he allowed his body to be broken so that ours in him could be made whole and that we could be a part of the resurrection of the dead with him. And that the wine represents his blood blood, which is poured out for our sins meaning that uh, he sees us as sinless even though we continue to sin that we are covered in his blood and that we are made right by him. Uh, so if you are a believer in Jesus, or if you would like to start following Christ, the communion table is open to you. The way that we do it is you come down the center here, you grab a piece of the cracker, you dip it into the wine, and then you go around the sides like this so we can, everyone can get the elements. And then you hold on to them, and then we will all take uh, communion together. So if you would like to take communion, please come on down.
1: My birthday tomorrow. No one here could know. I was born this Thursday, 22 years ago, and I feel stuck.
0: on no Jesus we thank you for your sacrifice for us that you were willing to suffer and die for us as we are Jesus would you help us to experience more and more of your unconditional love That you would help us to walk in that freedom that you're inviting us continually into this wonderful relationship with you thank you for your death on the cross thank you for your sacrifice for us let's partake Why don't we stand? If you feel like God was just pulling on your heart in terms of not experiencing God's unconditional love or just suffering, you're going through something or have been going through something that's just been difficult, we would love to lay hands on you and pray for you. We also have going to be eating downstairs if you would like to join us afterwards. If not, then that's perfectly fine as well. Uh, But I'm going to Prayer, prayer, blessing over us before we. And Lord, we thank you for this time together. We thank you for the gift of the church, our brothers and sisters that we get to walk with. Holy Spirit, we ask that you would fill us up, that you would open our eyes and our ears to everything that you have for us, that you would reveal to us your will for us, and that you would help us through whatever it is that we're wrestling with and that you would help us to demonstrate your love and your grace and your goodness to a world that is desperately seeking to find answers. And we know that that is in you. So Holy Spirit, go before us, guide us, lead us, and help us to know your unconditional love in our lives. We thank you and we love you. In Jesus' name, amen.